Good morning. I joked with the first service that that song should be all of our alarm clocks in the morning, reminding us, be strong in the Lord, right, that he is with us. Um, I am so blessed to be with you all today. Uh, before the first service, Pastor Joe decided that we should do rock, paper, scissors to see who would preach today, and I think I won. So here we go. Here goes nothing. I'm kidding. Seriously, it is such a huge blessing to be here. I'm Becky Pritchard, one of the pastors on staff. Uh, grateful to share this message from Mark, the book that we have been studying over the last several weeks and months. As we continue our study in the book of Mark, we continue to see Jesus display his power and authority as he proclaims the kingdom of God. Last week, Bob preached on two different passages that surround the passage that we're talking about today. The passages he preached on last week were the miraculous stories of Jesus healing a deaf and mute man and a blind man. These were miraculous stories of healing and authority of Jesus, and we as a congregation were challenged to hear the voice of Jesus over all the other voices in our lives. Today, we're looking at that passage that falls right in the middle of these two, and we see how Jesus deals with the unbelief of many. I invite you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 8, verses 11 through 21. You're welcome to use the Bibles in your pews, your bulletin, or to follow along on the screens as I read the passage aloud. Hear the word of the Lord. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you dis discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as we see this passage uh, nestled between the two healing stories, it also comes directly after the story of Jesus feeding the, uh, the 4,000, excuse me, that we read about in Mark. Certainly another miracle to behold as Jesus took seven loaves of bread and a few small fish and fed the multitudes, so much so that there were enough leftovers to collect. From here, after he feeds the 4,000, Jesus gets into the boat with his disciples and they go to Dalamanutha. This was on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. As soon as they arrived there, the Pharisees are waiting for Jesus. The Pharisees come to him 
ready for a fight. Picture it. Jesus has just done this miraculous feeding of 4,000 people. He gets in his boat, he arrives on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and there are the Pharisees waiting on the offensive, ready to argue with Jesus. Look at verse 11. It says, they were seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. So as Jesus shows up, he's instantly bombarded by the Pharisees. Did they not just see and hear about all of these different miracles that Jesus has performed? Now, maybe they were not there, the feeding of the 4,000, because again, they're on the other side of the shore. But have they not heard about all the things that Jesus has done? Were they trying to make people doubt Jesus after all of them had seen what had been done? Were they jealous of Jesus? Remember, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. Were they threatened by Jesus's power? What more could they possibly want? A deaf man can hear, a blind man can now see. 4,000 people were fed with very little, and yet they still wanted a sign. See, us humans, we have a tendency to want spectacular signs. We want to be convinced without a shadow of a doubt that something is true or real. We love drama. We want to see something that's going to bowl us over. It's kind of like why we like magic shows, although that, there's nothing real there. Incredible feats at the circus. We like to be amazed. Even though the Pharisees had seen and heard about the miracles of Jesus, they still wanted him to do something bigger, but likely not because they wanted to believe. When we look back at the Old Testament, we see Gideon in Judges seeking also a sign from God. He was told he was going to save Israel from the hand of Midian, and he asked for a sign from God and God delivered and showed him a sign. And yet the next day, he demanded another sign. He wanted to be absolutely sure about his call to lead. Isn't that just like us? We love signs. We want to see, uh, we're uncertain people. We want to see something that gives us clarity. But for the Pharisees here, they're not just trying to believe. They are challenging Jesus. They're trying to throw him for a loop. They were primed and ready to question Jesus. They were uncomfortable and likely jealous about the miracles he'd been performing, and they're ready to knock him down a notch, prove that he really isn't all that powerful, prove that he can't possibly be the son of God. They were seeking a sign from heaven to test him, in essence, to tempt him to try to show a sign and to fail, maybe publicly embarrassing himself or discrediting, discrediting himself, kind of like how Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil that in Matthew 4 is described as the devil tempting him to turn stones into bread after he'd fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus resisted then, and he also resists now. The Pharisees were ready to insult Jesus. Their hearts were hardened, and they were, not, they were trying to trip him up. 
Have you ever had somebody try to trip you up with a trick question? You know what I mean, a professor or a boss or a friend, maybe they ask you something because they want to prove a point or make you squirm. Maybe they know you're unprepared or unqualified, it makes you feel that way at least, and they put you on the spot to make you look like a fool. Your heart starts beating faster, you get flush in the face, you don't know how to respond. That is one of the worst feelings, right? We all have had that feeling at one time or another. Purposefully somebody trying to just make you look like a fool. That's what's going on here. These Pharisees knew exactly what they were doing. It was an intentional confrontation meant to evoke a response from Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? Look with me in verse 12. This is my favorite part. It says, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. We can just imagine Jesus' impatient sigh. We can hear the frustration in that deep sigh. We can feel the annoyance that Jesus must have had by this questioning for a sign. We can feel Jesus' sadness that this is the state of the hearts of the religious leaders of the land. This question that they've asked him doesn't even warrant words. His sigh communicates enough. Even though we certainly aren't Jesus, and many of our deep sighs aren't, don't have this spiritual nature to them, we do get this on our human level. We've all had moments where we sort of sigh heavily at a loss for words, or trying to sort of hold back what might be an outburst of frustration. Maybe it's when your children ask you for the hundredth time for a snack before dinner. Is that just me? I know Carrie's been there, yep. Um, all you can do is sigh. Or maybe it's when you feel picked on at school and people are being relentless in the way that they're making fun of you, trying to engage you, trying to get a response out of you, and all you can do is sigh. Or maybe it's when you watch the news right before bed. Your heart is saddened by the events going on in the world. You're deeply, deeply troubled and all you can do is sigh. We've all had these moments of deep, heavy sighs. Out of sadness, frustration, and impatience, whatever it is, these moments don't need words because a sigh communicates enough of what we feel. Jesus here sighs deeply. And then he responds at the end of verse 12. He finally says, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Jesus immediately shuts down their request. He doesn't play their game. He doesn't give them an inch. He doesn't allow them to push him to do what they want. And then let's see what he does next in verse 13. It says, and he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. He was out of there. Mic drop. He'd been there, he'd been tested, they pushed him, he sighed, he said no, and he walked away. Don't we all wish we could be a little bit more like Jesus? When we're pushed, questioned, asked to defend ourselves, no, walk away. Jesus walks away. He literally got in the boat and left, leaving the Pharisees standing there, 
Notice that Jesus was in control the entire time. Even though the Pharisees were trying to throw him off, they were trying to test him. He maintained his control. He didn't scream and yell at them. He didn't lash out at them and tell them why they're wrong. He didn't sink down to their level to play their game. He didn't let it throw him off or fluster him one bit. He confidently and simply said, no, there will be no sign for this generation. And he walked away. We've talked a lot about the authority of Jesus throughout the book of Mark. And this is another example of Jesus expressing his authority, but in a much subtler way. He didn't calm a storm. He didn't heal the blind man again. He didn't feed 4,000 people. No, he simply was confident in who he was as God's son. He was confident that he didn't need to prove himself with another sign. He was confident in his own authority and he knew he didn't have to do anything more to convince these Pharisees of who he was. Do you remember in Mark 6, when we read about Jesus sending out the disciples in pairs to proclaim the kingdom of God? He told the disciples that if anyone were not to receive them, if anyone were not to listen to this good news, that they were to literally shake the dust off their feet and to leave. Here we have that same example. Jesus is doing what he taught the disciples to do. He's displaying the same behavior. He's taking his own advice. He's not going to waste his time trying to convince the Pharisees or play their game. He's simply shaking the dust off of his feet and moving on. Jesus knows that even a sign would still not convince the Pharisees of his authority and power. Hadn't they heard and seen enough? They had unbelief and their goal was not to suddenly believe, desperate for just, God, give me one more sign that it's real. No, their goal was to tempt Jesus and to make a fool of him. They were stubborn and unbelieving and hard-hearted. So Jesus leaves in the boat with his disciples. At this point in our passage, we see the scene shift. Jesus is in his boat. They leave Dalamanutha. After their encounter with the Pharisees, as they head off in the boat, suddenly the disciples realize that they had forgotten to bring bread. They only had one loaf, and that was not going to feed all 13 of them on the boat. The disciples were thinking of the practical issues that lay ahead on their journey as they face the next step, as they leave Dalamanutha, when it comes to their physical needs, their potential hunger. Jesus, on the other hand, having just come off that encounter with the Pharisees, is lost in thought about what just happened and pays no mind to their physical needs at this moment. As the disciples are worrying about their bread, Jesus gives them a caution in verse 15. Jesus says, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Okay, let's pause here just for a moment. The disciples are worried about bread, physical food, bread. And then Jesus gives them this word as a caution using the word leaven, leaven which is in bread, which makes bread rise, and saying something about the Pharisees and Herod. I think that the disciples and Jesus are on different pages right now. I think that they're maybe reading from different books altogether. 
There's not speaking the same language because the word leaven that Jesus uses here makes the disciples think that they're in trouble for not bringing the bread. Their minds are focused on the bread. They don't have enough bread. They didn't remember to bring the bread. They must have really messed up. Yet Jesus is going, wait, what are you talking about? The disciples to one another are, ah, oh, we didn't bring the bread. What are we going to do? And the, Jesus is saying to beware of the Pharisees and of Herod. This is a misunderstanding. Jesus is not referring to bread here at all. The leaven or the yeast he is referring to has to do with sin and the spread of sin in the hearts and lives of the Pharisees and of Herod. Leaven spreads through bread to transform it, to make it change, to make its consistency different. Just like sin can spread throughout people's lives to change them and make them different, make us different. The Pharisees were stubborn and filled with unbelief, stuck to their traditions rather than open to Jesus' leading. Whereas Herod, on the other hand, was secular, corrupt. Neither the Pharisees nor Herod were understanding Jesus' kingdom and authority. Both were clinging to the human systems that they had built, although very different systems, one trying to follow religious law, one against religion altogether. They would never want to be compared in the same sentence, yet neither of them were open to the leading of Jesus. The leaven had seeped into their lives. And here the disciples are worried about bread. Isn't this so us, though? Aren't we just like the disciples? We're always worried about our physical well-being. What did we forget? Will there be enough? Will I get sick? Will we make it to the next place? Just like the disciples, we're so focused on earthly matters, what's happening right in front of us. And here Jesus is sitting right next to them, telling them to beware of spiritual temptations, much like the Pharisees and Herod have fallen into. And the disciples completely miss the point. So in order to help them understand, Jesus proceeds to ask them several questions. To get them to stop thinking about their physical needs for bread, to start to think about their spiritual needs, to think about their faith in Jesus and his provision for them, both physically and spiritually. Look with me at verse 17. It says, And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Imagine getting this rebuke from Jesus. All you're trying to do is get bread. I mean, come on. And Jesus is saying, wait, do you not understand? Are your hearts hardened? Jesus is asking if they still don't understand after all that they have seen, do they still not understand? And then in verse 18, he continues, having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear and do you not remember? In Mark 4, when Jesus taught the parables of the sower and the lamp under the basket, he talked a lot about having eyes and ears, spiritual eyes and ears to understand the meaning of those parables. All throughout Mark, we hear a lot of reference to eyes that ear, eyes that see and ears that hear to understand the kingdom of God. 
And we just saw last week Jesus healing a deaf man and a blind man, opening eyes and ears to see and to hear. All of this connects to the images of seeing and hearing. Jesus is very smart and very pointed in his teachings. And yet the disciples are stuck in the earthly world. Then Jesus brings yet another reference to the events that just occurred. In verses 19 and 20, it says, Jesus says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full, of, baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. Jesus is making quite the point here. He's not only healed a deaf man, given eyes to see to a blind man, he's taking care of their physical needs, and then he takes care of the physical hunger needs of 4,000 people. He's reminding the disciples of these truths, of these miracles that they've experienced, but more importantly than all of that, Jesus is taking care of their spiritual needs. He is challenging them to open the eyes and the ears of their hearts to believe and understand for true transformation because of who he is as God's son. He's using their experiences of witnessing these miracles. These disciples saw these things happen to remind them of the power and authority that he has. He provided for their physical needs as well as their spiritual needs. And not only did he provide he provided in abundance, more than they ever could have needed. So Jesus patiently asks them these questions so that they can attest to what happened, remember what happened, and that their eyes and their ears would be open once more. It's all connected. Jesus is consistent with his message. He teaches about it, then he shows them physically what he means by healing and feeding, and then he challenges the disciples, wake up! Do you still not understand? Do we not trust that Jesus will provide for us in this same way, with abundance? Are we so focused on the needs right in front of us, our jobs, our health, our kids, our daily tasks, that we forget that God has provided in the past and will provide again more so than just for what we physically need, but what, for our, what our hearts need. Jesus is trying to show this to the disciples. His final statement to them in verse 21 is, and he said to them, do you not yet understand what they've just experienced how they've had to remember these things, do you still not understand? And what about for us? We can recall all the times God has shown up in our lives to do miraculous things, or at least to walk us through the dark times. And yet still we confront a trial or a valley or an issue and we say, where are you, God? Not remembering what God has done for us over and over again. We've seen Mark talk to the disciples in this very same way previously in chapter four. When he calms the storm and the disciples are all in a flurry and a fluster, he's asked them, have you still no faith? Just like he asked them here, do you not yet understand? 
I mean, are the disciples just kind of slow? That could be it. Or is it that as humans, we need constant reminders of God's goodness to us because we are quick to forget? Do you not still understand? Our son Thomas just turned two yesterday, and he's a pretty tall two-year-old. He looks like a three-year-old. But our kitchen counter island top is a little bit shorter than his head, and as he's grown, he's bonked his head several times. He comes running around from the living room, and he runs right into the countertop. Bonk. The next day, same deal. Bonk. Why can he not remember, oh yeah, I better not do that this time, I'm going to bonk my head. He needs to be reminded over and over again, wait, 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 don't bonk your head. Eventually, natural consequences sort of take over, and he, I think the pain will help to, to remind him. But he's still learning that lesson. We need reminders as humans. We forget, we get distracted, we get caught up in all the demands of our lives, and we bonk our heads over and over again. We forget so easily the power of Jesus in our lives, even when we experience it firsthand. We get concerned about our well-being, stuck in our brokenness, and we forget that God's promises are true no matter what our situations and circumstances are. We praise God in the joy, and we praise God in the pain. Let's go back quickly to the very beginning of the passage that we started with today, where the Pharisees try to test Jesus. I like to compare the response that Jesus has to the Pharisees on one hand and the disciples on the other. Both have sort of had unbelief in a way. The Pharisees, to them, as they come to confront Jesus, he responds to their hardened hearts with a heavy sigh, with a no sign, and with walking away. Their hearts had already been hardened. But to the disciples, he has pity for them. He really wants them to understand. He carefully and compassionately asks questions of them so that they might remember God's faithfulness about who Jesus is trying to get them to step back and think spiritually, to forget their physical needs for a moment and remember God's faithfulness through Jesus. He has compassion on them. He wants them to understand. He walks with them until they do. He knows that their preoccupation with their earthly safety and well-being and misunderstanding of Jesus' spiritual vision could lead to hardened hearts just like the Pharisees. And he doesn't want them to go down that path. He wants them to know the truth now so they don't become like the Pharisees or like Herod. That's why he gives them that warning. We shouldn't be too quick to criticize the disciples. It's easy to think, oh man, they just don't get this. How can they not just, just not get this? But we're all just like the disciples. Needing reminders, needing experiences to help us realize the goodness of Jesus and his love for us, his faithfulness to provide our every single need. Every time we give of our tithes and offerings, that's us trusting God to provide physically for us, acknowledging that all that we have is the Lord's. And remember, these disciples, they don't yet know the end of the story. They had to continue with Jesus to the cross. They had to see his sacrificial death experience his resurrection to see how his promises would be true and yet still 
some doubted. You and I, we have the advantage of knowing the entire story. We know that Jesus died and was resurrected from the grave for our salvation, and yet we still forget. We hold scripture in our hands, on our phones, in our homes, in our cars. We have access to it immediately, and yet we still forget. We get preoccupied with our physical needs and distracted by the idols of this world, so focused on the horizontal, what we see in front of us, and so disconnected from the vertical provision of God. Let us set our minds vertically first so that we might look out with new eyes and ears, spiritually attuned to God. We do not just need a reminder of this truth one time a year on Easter Sunday. No, we are Easter people, living every single day with the knowledge of what happened on the cross so that we're transformed by this amazing grace and love and so that we can share this grace and love with other people. We have hope in a future because what Christ has done for us We live now knowing that we are saved and that we are forgiven and we live in anticipation, eagerly awaiting Christ's return, a promise from God that is true. And in the meantime, we get to share this light and hope with other people. We get to bring them along with us for God's glory. We have to also admit that living in the in-between can be very difficult. Dark, painful days, sickness, illness, loss, grief, sadness. That's when we sigh, those deep sighs, at a loss for words, desperately wanting Christ to return, to heal us from sin. But don't forget, in the waiting, God is with us. God is with us, and we are continually made new in Christ as we come to confession, as we ask for forgiveness, as we sit in pew with one another, fellowship together, as we become more holy by the power of the Holy Spirit, turning from our sinful ways. And in that meantime, we get to love others, sharing these stories of Jesus' power and provision and faithfulness as we have faith to endure the tough parts. Do we still have doubt? Yes, I know I do. Do we still stumble and fall? Absolutely, but God forgives us. Do we still need to be reminded every single day? That's why we're in fellowship with one another, to remind each other. That's why we come to church and the Bible studies. That's why we read our scripture daily. That's why we're reminded through prayer, breathing in the Holy Spirit, breathing out his peace. Can we do this alone? No. We need one another. We need to continually point one another back to the truth and back to faith in Christ. As you leave here today, think about some times in your life that God has been faithful. Write them down, draw them out, 
Put them on a song. Put them in your car, on your mirror, wherever it is to remind you of God's goodness. If you don't have a time in your own life where you've experienced God's goodness, look in scripture. Remember these promises. Remember that God is faithful to his promises so that when you do get in one of those dark modes, when you get in one of those trials, you can remember that it will end. It will end and we have hope and promise for a future of eternity with God. So for those of you in here who might just be hearing about Jesus for the first time, maybe you're going, I don't know if I believe all this. I don't understand why he would talk to his disciples that way. I don't even understand who these Pharisees are, how these miracles are true. Come ask those questions at the end of the service. We'll have a deacon in our Griffith Chapel ready to greet you, talk with you, pray with you. For those of you in here who know Jesus and follow Jesus regularly but feel kind of like a disciple, a little dull in heart, maybe a little slow to remember God's promises, maybe preoccupied with the things of this world surrounding you, maybe distracted by the physical needs and pressures in your life, we invite you to cling to hope in Jesus to write down those reminders of God's faithfulness, to find a friend to walk with you through the hard times. And for those of you in here that feel like your faith cup is full, ready to overflow, you're experiencing Jesus in new and miraculous ways every single day, it's time for you to share that good news. Leaving here encouraged and nourished and empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk out these doors and share this with somebody who might not know the name of Jesus Christ, loving them, learning from them, and praying for them. Let us continue on this journey together. Let us be reminded of God's goodness, of Christ's miracles, and of his love for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us, for your faithfulness, in the midst of our unfaithfulness and our unbelief. We thank you that we are an Easter people living with the knowledge of your son's death and resurrection for our salvation. We thank you that we are not stuck here, but that you compassionately come alongside us, guiding us to know you more, to trust you with all of our hearts. We pray that you would give us boldness to speak your truth to the world that you would find ways to use us for your glory in your kingdom. We thank you for that opportunity, and we pray that we would respond with gratitude and joy. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.